Hello, I'm Abigail James. Welcome to Knowing Me, Glowing You, the podcast that celebrates life's unique journeys. I want to inspire you wherever you are in your life, whether that be aging, career, family, or more internal goals of self-discovery. Each week, I will be chatting to different experts, shining a light on their knowledge and own unique journeys. Today, I'm chatting with Estée Lalonde. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I had a Botox appointment booked in for next week. Everybody calm down. But I've canceled it. <laughs> Have now, you? Now, there's nothing against Botox. Yeah, there's nothing against Botox. I, I totally understand why somebody would want it. And I, I literally do not care if somebody gets Botox. I never thought I would get Botox, though. Estee Lund started sharing videos on YouTube over 10 years ago, way before it became a thing, after moving to the UK from Canada. From a young age, Estee knew that she wanted a creative career and has spent the last decade building up her personal brand, establishing herself as a much-loved voice of the digital generation. Estee is known for beauty and lifestyle content, and I love her openness about talking about her vulnerable side and addressing her mental health struggles. In addition to her videos and podcasts, Estee also collaborates with brands, most notably creating three best-selling jewellery collections with Daisy London. I am wearing one of those today. Estee's most recent project, Mirror Water, is a lifestyle community focused on self-reflection. When I think of Estee, I think of a modern day entrepreneur, a beautiful human inside and out with a smile that lights up a room. So Estee, welcome to the podcast. I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> thank <laughs> you, Abigail. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. And thank you for agreeing to come, come on the podcast. Do you know, we first met, I think we were both presenting for Lancome. We were we were on a little panel together. I think that's the first time we met. Yeah, I was actually trying to think of it like five minutes before we started and I couldn't really think of anything. For some reason, I have a vision of you giving me a facial and putting blueberry acid on my face. So that's the only thing I can really remember. It just escalated quickly, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have probably done that as well. I'd have definitely done that. So yeah. So what I love to start with is... As much as we've kind of known of each other and around each other and however long ago that that was that we first connected, we've kind of just kept in touch, you know, industry-wise. I love my guests to share, in your own words, your journey to getting where we are. I know you could literally fill a whole book on that, Estee. So over to you with just, you know, the things that you want to share. Well, for those people who have watched me for a long time, they already know the story, so I won't go into too much detail. But for those who have never heard of me and don't know my story, I'll just say it really quickly. And that is that I'm originally from Canada. I moved to the UK when I just turned 19. I'm 32 now. So I've been here a while. I didn't know anyone when I moved to the UK. I knew maybe one person, two people, something like that. And I was really homesick and really lonely. 
So somehow I stumbled across the world of blogging and this is blogging, not vlogging. This is websites. Um, and I fell in love and I really saw the sense of community that existed online through people's love of beauty products. It's actually interesting because when I was 19, I didn't care about skincare and beauty or anything like that. But I guess I was just sort of getting to the age where I was more interested. So I kind of learned all about beauty and wellness and those things online and showed that journey throughout my blog and then eventually made a YouTube channel because people wanted to really see my personality and hear what I had to say. And then instead of just talking about beauty products, I started talking about my life and my move. A lot of people uh, resonated with the fact that I moved abroad because I had you know, a, a large audience of people who have done the same. And um, I was also quite young. So I think, I don't know, I think it was an interesting point of view for a lot of people. And then eventually it just kind of kept going. I was working full-time jobs. I was studying as well. And eventually I just quit those jobs and thought, I'm going to just give YouTube a real chance here. When I started, I didn't even know it could be a job. I eventually realized maybe it could be if I tried really hard and luckily it worked out and 11 years later 12 years later here i am i've launched my own beauty brand um less than a year ago like you mentioned called mirror water i've had my daisy jewelry collections which have been really successful i am obsessed with jewelry and i've just learned a lot over the years about not only beauty and wellness and those kind of things but about running your own business and wearing and wearing multiple hats, you know, when you're a YouTuber, a content creator, you're not just filming a video, you're filming, editing, answering the emails, you know, negotiating brand deals and contracts and dealing with your finances. So there are so many elements doing your own PR, your own marketing that I have learned over the years. And it's been exciting for me to apply those skills to my next business. So I've got to ask, what were you doing? You said you were kind of doing some jobs what were those jobs before this estate? Well, I worked at the beauty counter in Topshop in Westfield, Stratford. So it was uh, one of my first jobs here in the UK. I also worked at a furniture store in Notting Hill, which I hated so much. I had to wake up really early because the store opened early. And it was just, I just hated, you know, sometimes we all have jobs that we just didn't click with. And that was one of them. I worked at Triumph, which is like an underwear and bra store. So that was kind of fun. I remember I was living in Cambridge at that time. So I had to take the train to London all by myself to go on a bra fitting course. And I remember getting out of the train station in London and thinking like, oh my God, where am I? Like, this is so scary. And then I did this course all about how to, you know, get the perfect fit of a bra. And I don't know, I just felt so out of my depth. I mean, I've, I've done everything. Now, you see, I'm already feeling that you've got your partnerships with Daisy. You've got, uh, we're going to talk about mirror water in a bit. I'm feeling there's some underwear coming out, surely. <laughs> I don't think so. I would love to do some underwear. I live in my underwear. I'm in my underwear right now. I won't put you through the visual of that. But um, yeah, I'm always in my underwear. I love it. <laughs> the shift of becoming a creator, whether it's blogging or YouTubing, how did your friends perceive that? What was the view towards you? Because you were one of those, you know, forerunners really in in that that sphere. And I'm guessing some people must have thought, what what the hell is she doing? Or even your, you know, parents or family, what what was the view? What were they kind of thinking? Well, 
for starters, I didn't want to tell anyone about it because it was really embarrassing at the time. It's not like today where everybody wants to be an influencer. Um, I, I actually was speaking to my friend. She's a teacher and she said everybody in school right now thinks they're going to grow up to be a famous influencer, which is just, I mean, maybe, but probably not. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't really tell a lot of people in the beginning, mostly because I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did tell my mom that I was going to start a YouTube channel. I think she thought it was cute. She didn't think it was ever going to be a job. None of us did. And I remember when I posted my first YouTube video overnight, I think it got 11 views or something. Now, definitely seven of those views at least were my own and my mom. So, you know, I was really proud of those 11 views. And since that time, my mom has been really supportive and she's been my number one fan. We joke and say that she's my real manager because she's been through everything with me, all the growth, every video, giving every video a thumbs up, leaving comments on everything. And even to this day, you'll see on my Instagram, she pretty much writes a comment on all my Instagram. So she was very supportive. My friends back home in Canada, when they found out, they actually made fun of me, like not in, in a nice way either. They had secondhand embarrassment, I think, of what I was doing. And um, it's funny, as I started growing and the industry started growing and people started understanding YouTube a bit more, they started thinking it was a bit cooler. I mean, this uh, that was the thing at that time. You had to really put your blinders on and just do what you wanted to do because there were a lot of people telling you not only that you couldn't do it, but that you shouldn't do it. So it's just so interesting to look back. I still look back at that time as one of the most fascinating parts of my career because no one knew what was coming. And all of us who started at that time were in it together. None of us had any idea and we were all really helping each other. And that was very exciting for all of us. It's changed a lot since those days. And, and I know from dipping into it, you know, with the YouTube and filming and things, it is a full-time job. And I think people underestimate that you've said the different hats you have to put on you're not just videoing you're editing you're planning out the content that you're doing so i i think there is a misconception of what what is actually involved in probably what looks quite eff effortless on the screen but we do need to you know you've got over a million subscribers on youtube Yes. I mean, I feel like my glory days are over. I had my my good days and now it's kind of different. You know, the new generation's coming along and, and that's what people are watching. And I think, you know, I still obviously have an amazing core audience and I make videos for those people. But a lot of my audience is my age, um, you know, in their early 30s, mid 30s. And they grew up with me. So when they were all in university, they had all the time in the world to watch my videos. And we've all grown up together, which means just like me, their responsibilities and their roles have changed. And so um, I do have over a million followers, but I think it's so interesting to see how things have kind of shifted because they've all grown up with me. One thing I will say about your earlier point is how people underestimate how much time it takes. I mean, I've had that since day one. People thought it wasn't a real job. I've had so many comments about how I work in beauty. It's not a real industry, blah, blah, blah. But I've always said that it's not my job to make someone feel like I work a lot. I don't need people to tell me I work a lot. I know I work a lot. I All the people close to me know that I work really hard and I've worked for this. But I think people are coming to watch YouTube or go on Instagram to get an escape. They don't necessarily need to be shown what it takes and what goes into that content. Although sometimes I do think it is interesting 
to share, but people don't get it. And I don't understand why, because it's been going on for so long now, but if it was easy, everyone would do it, you know? And obviously the online has changed dramatically over the past decade. What changes have you seen? Are there any that you're like, I'm really not embracing that or any that you're like, yeah, okay, I need to, I need to morph and change. Well, I think the key to a successful online career is that you have to be adaptable and changeable and you have to take on those new things. Now, I have been resisting TikTok, but I knew that was a stupid decision from the very beginning. I obviously should have been on TikTok from the beginning, but I just, when TikTok really, you know, was coming up, I was launching my brand. So I just genuinely did not have the capacity, but now I'm kind of getting a bit more time and I want to start doing TikTok. But you you can't just say, oh, I'm not doing that because that's not how the digital landscape works. You have to try everything. And that's what it's all about. You have to kind of share your audiences across platforms and that's how you grow. So I do try to take everything on board to an extent, but also keeping in mind with myself that I now have two jobs. So I don't want to burn out either. But I hope that kind of answers the question. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think obviously TikTok is where it's it's going to be. And I saw you, you came up on my TikTok yesterday. I was scrolling. <laughs> yeah, my TikTok all about how I want to start TikTok. <laughs> so you mentioned that when you were starting out, there was potentially a bit of negativity from people that you knew. And I know when you have an online presence, you are opening yourself up to the good, the bad, and the ugly. How have you managed that throughout your career? Well, I think in the early days, it was a lot more difficult for me than it is now. I was 19. You know, you're not fully formed as a human being when you're 19 and you're not completely comfortable in your own skin. So, you know, if somebody were, was calling me names or something or pointing out a personality trait of mine that they didn't like, it really, really got to me. I think the best thing for me was that I did have an amazing support system. My partner at the time, my mom, you know, I have people in my life that know the real me and they don't care if my one eyebrow looks different than my other eyebrow that, you know, they just don't care about that. So I think you always have to have yourself rooted in reality and remember that the digital world is its own world, but it's not the real world and you can't really absorb too much of that. I've definitely got a much thicker skin than I had when I was 19. Also, I think that there's a, a bad side to receiving too many good compliments. I think, you know, every day when you're seeing comments like, I love you so much. You're amazing. You can do no wrong. I'd watch you do anything. You're the best. Like, that's also not good for you either, because that's not reality. When you're in the real world and you go, you know, to the pub with your friends, not everybody is going to just sit there and compliment everything about you. So it's really remembered to it's really important to remember that balance and try not to let it affect you. But I really feel for all of the teenagers and younger people now that grow up with social media and just that access because it must be incredibly difficult. I don't know. I had a different, I kind of grew up in half and half, half online and half before online. So I can kind of understand both worlds of it, but I don't know. I always think about the, the, the youngsters now. And I think that's one of the things I love about you, Estee, is that you do have this public persona, but you are feet on the ground. And I know you've shared a lot of your vulnerability o over your time online. Was that a conscious decision to share that? 
And was it a difficult thing to do? No, it's really interesting because it wasn't, I didn't think anything of it when I shared it. I shared it because I share everything. And you have to remember from the time that I was 19, I pretty much told everyone everything about my life. Obviously, my boundaries have significantly changed since then. I have a lot you know, different limits now than I did when I was 19. But it was just another thing I was sharing as if I was sharing what I was having for lunch. I I never had an issue sharing it. I enjoyed sharing it. And I really felt like it was almost my job to share it because people, I don't want to say people looked up to me, but people felt a sense of friendship with me and a sense of kinship with me. And I wanted them to know that I'm a real person, obviously. And, um, I found it really rewarding actually to share it. And then I just kind of kept sharing it. I don't find it difficult. The funny thing is, is I can share all about my anxiety and my depression and that sort of thing with a huge audience. And I could do a panel all about it. But if I'm like one-on-one with someone in my real life, I found it, find it a lot more difficult. So um, I'm chatting with my therapist all about that. But I, I, yeah, I just think it's weird that I can say it here. No problem. Tell everybody what I'm going through. But if it's a more intimate experience, then I find that a lot more difficult. Can we talk about Effie for a moment? Yes. So you are a dog person. And I, I think as long as I've known you online, you've had, a, you're, they're big dogs. <laughs> well, Effie's not too big, but yes, I am a dog person. I grew up with dogs. I love dogs. I love everything about them. I couldn't live without a dog, basically. I love them. In my earlier days on YouTube, I adopted a greyhound. His name was Reggie and he was just the love of my life. He still is the love of my life. I think about him every day and, you know, animal lovers will understand what that's like. It's a member of the family. And I just still think about the way he used to make me feel and I just adore him. And when we adopted Reggie, it was amazing because I'm not kidding, Abigail, hundreds of greyhounds were adopted because of that. And a lot of people said, I never considered adopting a greyhound before I saw Reggie. I thought they were scary. I didn't know anything about them. I thought they were weird. And ever since like showing your love for Reggie and the process of adopting him, you know, I just wanted one. And so many people have got them and people still tag me in greyhound videos today or say, oh, I got a greyhound thinking of Reggie. And that is just, that's incredible to me. For me, that's more valuable than any, anything else I've ever done. Um, so when I lost Reggie, my poor baby, he was, I think he was maybe 13 or 14 and he's off to a better place. He's in outer space right now, hanging out with all the other dogs and catching squirrels. But I knew that I had to adopt again. So first of all, I didn't know if I could ever get another dog because I just loved him so much and I didn't know if I could do it. So anyway, after three or four months, I realized there is no way I can not have a dog. I do struggle with depression and anxiety and all those things. And I just need a reason to wake up in the morning. I need a reason to go outside, hear the birds chirping, talk to a neighbor and just like you said earlier, get grounded. It really, really grounds me. So I adopted another dog named Effie. She is a little rescue from Greece. And I adopted her through a foundation called Wild at Heart Foundation. And I must say it was the most difficult thing I have ever done. Way more difficult than having a YouTube career. It was truly the hardest thing ever because she was on the very extreme side of nervous. So I had to work very, very hard to get her to have confidence and get her to even make eye contact with me. That took about four months before she would even look at me. So that was a big, big, big 
journey that I shared online, of course. I really do hope that it inspires people to adopt or even just have a pet in general because it just does wonders for your mental health. Yeah, I am that dog person and I I couldn't imagine not having a, a pet, a dog in my life. And it's interesting that you say that there's almost that reason to get up in the morning, get up and outside and do something. When when life does get a little bit lumpy or it's just feeling, you know, it, it's feeling heavy, Effie obviously helps you get up and out and do things. Have you got any other tips or practices or things that you can draw on that help you through those times? Well, I know you're a yogi, so maybe this is the conversation I've been needing to have. I have always been inspired by you and all that you do on that yoga mat. But I used to do yoga, not every day, but almost every day. And I used to absolutely love it. And I have completely fallen off the bandwagon since the pandemic. I haven't haven't really practiced regularly since the pandemic, which is such a shame. And I know, you know, you can always get back on the mat. But you know what it's like when you maybe don't do it for a while, you just... I don't know, there's an anxiety to it. I would really love to get back into yoga. And I think that's something that helped me so, so much. But I don't do yoga, but I do stretch. I stretch all the time. And that is amazing. You don't understand how different you can feel if you just stretch. Like literally simple stretches. You can't see me right now, but I'm just stretching my arms, you know, rolling my shoulders. That can completely reset your mood and just shift your energy a little bit. So if you don't want to exercise, I I mean, sometimes when I'm super depressed, it's the last thing I want to do is exercise. So even just stretching is so helpful for me. I think the mental health struggles is something that we we share. And uh, I personally first went on antidepressants at the age of 23. And emotional ups and downs, I think sometimes people from the exterior, they think, oh, well, she's just got this life sorted. She knows exactly what she's doing. And you can be very good at doing that and masking things. And I think it's important that people acknowledge their mood and actually check in with themselves. You know, I personally needed medical help at at that point in my life. But I I think both of us have probably done a lot of inner work in, I suppose it's that confidence to go, actually, I'm, I'm I'm not well. It's not a physical ailment, but actually I'm I need to put my hand up, say, actually, I need a bit of support and help here. And I feel that the mental health side of things in the world is just continuing to become more of an issue as, you know, life gets more hectic and crazy and things. So um, when you were struggling, was there someone that you found easy? I know you said that you could speak to everybody online about things, but had you got that person or someone who you kind of went, actually, I, I, I need some help here. Yeah. I mean, my mom has just been my rock throughout my entire life. I, I'm obsessed with her. I love her. She's so funny. And although she lives in Canada, we speak every single day on the phone and um, I just trust her with everything and I value her opinion and everything. And she herself has always struggled with depression um, and never had anxiety until later in life, until her forties. So she really understands it and she understands me. And 
just bringing it back to Effie for a second, I think we can learn so much about dogs. And they say you get the dog you need. I did not know I needed this much work in my life. But one thing I learned with having Effie is that I have to be her advocate. So she can't be around people. She can't do things that stress her out, all these things. So I have to be her advocate. And it's taught me that I have to be that person for myself as well. I have to advocate for myself and my own needs. And I recently, you know, hung out with people who they don't know how to say no. They don't know how to say, oh, I need to go home now because I'm, this is getting a little stressful. Or no, I don't need to go to that party because I'm quite tired and I just want a nice night in. You know, I am actually the queen of saying no. I think that's come a lot with time and that inner work and that confidence to just feel comfortable in the fact that it's Saturday night and yeah, I'm going to read my book and journal tonight and I am really happy with that decision. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds like the perfect Saturday night for me. So you, I know you love your skincare and your beauty. How do you feel about the aging process? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I had a Botox appointment booked in for next week. Everybody calm down, but I've canceled it. <laughs> Have you? Now there's nothing against Botox. Yeah, there's nothing against Botox. I, I totally understand why somebody would want it. And I, I literally do not care if somebody gets Botox. I never thought I would get Botox though. And then I don't know why I just thought I would never age. I don't know what I thought. And then I've been looking in the mirror a lot. I think when you turn 30, everything changes from your head to your toes, things are changing. And I just started getting really obsessed with like the lines on my forehead and near my eyes. And, you know, in a really, in a way that I wasn't used to, because I'm really not that critical of my physical appearance in that way. And I thought, that's it. I'm getting Botox. And I don't know, then I just, I just chickened out and I don't, I'm not getting Botox. You know, I think about my mom and she's never had any work done. And again, I don't want to make anyone feel judged because everybody has their own journey, but she just looks so beautiful as she is. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to keep up with the facial massage. Uh, Not to say I'm never going to get Botox, but you know, I totally understand because there's so many pressures and we all want to feel our best and you know social media especially is just it's such a toxic place you're not seeing real faces and I'm even guilty of it you know I take a picture at a certain angle you know you're not seeing what people actually look like so yeah I did get kind of sucked in there for a minute but I'm going to try to age gracefully (laughs) it's interesting because I think a lot of us in our 20s not all but a lot of say, oh, no, never, no, never, 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 until you start seeing it on your own face. And you're like, oh, maybe just a little tweak is fine. When I know you love your facials. Have you had any facials recently? Because I often find, so say I get a new client come to me and we go through the wish list, right? What do we want to achieve? And the, there's kind of two camps. The one, much like yourself, But then when we actually jump into when did you last have some kind of face treatment, they're like, oh, it was like three years ago, you know, and there's a lot of space between not doing anything to your skin and actually having injectables. And then there's the other camp that they will say, I'm seeing all of my friends get Botox and fillers and I don't want to go down that route. When did you last have some kind of face treatment? Is it something that you try and do regularly or are you a little bit more sporadic? Yes, I do it regularly whenever I can. 
lucky for me with my job, I get offered facials a lot. So that is a huge perk, especially as I age, because I love facials. But I, I get laser treatments, things like that. I think there are so many things that you can do that are effective without doing injectables. And I'm going to try all of those things first. Uh, if I still land and I still want a few little micro Botox or whatever, then maybe. Yeah, I do get a lot of facials. I really do. And I think that they're incredible. And I try to keep up an, a good skincare routine at home. I mean, I'm doing my routine every single day, every single night, no matter what. And I drink a lot of water and all those things. But I will say I was very naughty in my 20s and didn't wear SPF every day. But now I literally regret it so much. Every day I'm SPF 50. So that's another thing I would definitely say don't be bad. Just put it on, get an SPF in your moisturizer and move on with your day. Do you know what? I think in your 20s, I was that person, my daughter, she's 23. She is currently that person. You want to tan and you feel just... I'm never going to age. I'm going to live forever. It's that in the back of your mind. And then it's not until you start seeing stuff, you go, oh, right. Okay. But we've done a whole load of damage by that point. So I need to know any desert island skincare products or what are you currently loving? Hmm, what am I currently loving? Well, it's so hot. I'm honestly not wearing that many products these days because I'm not wearing makeup. I have to say, as I'm getting older, I'm not wearing that much makeup. I'm all about the skincare and maybe some brow gel. But some skincare things that I am loving right now, they're, do you know the brand Kichi? K-I-C-H-I. No. You might know her. Anyway, she has an oil. It's called the Forever Oil. I love her oil. And I'm loving exfoliating. I have really like dry skin and dehydrated skin. So I like to do like an exfoliating, an acid exfoliating mask. And I, I'm such a hydrator. I love essences. I love, oh, Sarah Chapman's um, hydrating serum. Oh, the Shantikai eye cream. I'm loving. Now you've got me going now, Abigail. <laughs> so we've talked about you as the entrepreneur and some kind of beauty side of things and also the mental health side of things. So that nicely segues into your latest venture, which is Mirror Water. I would love to know a little bit about how that came about and where you are with that journey. Yeah. So Mirror Water is so exciting to me. I firstly want to say I put my heart, soul, every piece of energy and fiber of my being into making Mirror Water. It's been a personal ambition of mine. And I always knew I wanted to do something that could live alongside my YouTube channel that maybe didn't have my name attached to it just because I've been on the internet a very long time and I've known that if you kind of have your name attached to to it and the brand is your name then you are always going to be the face of it and I don't have that much time anymore so I wanted to create something that could sit beside it and also I feel like I've kind of shared my journey you know I've shared a lot not to say that there isn't more to share but I have shared a lot and I wanted to create a space for other people to kind of share their journeys and have a community of people that could, you know, talk and reflect and focus on those things that we all love. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you're a wellness addict and, you know, you're always looking at ways to improve or ways to relax in a little bit of a, you know, more interesting modern way. 
So anyway, I struggled and hemmed and hawed about it. This was years in the making because you don't just launch something like this. It takes such a long time to create an idea and really visualize it. But Marijuater, in short, is a lifestyle brand and community, and we focus on self-reflection. And for me, one of my favorite places to reflect is in the bathtub. I have so many baths, and I think a lot of people, especially who are more introspective, love bathing. And I've just found it such an amazing tool to use for me when I maybe have been feeling a bit low or I do need a bit of a reset or just anything. You just want to treat yourself. I love, love, love bathing, whether that's in the bath or in the shower. So I wanted to create something that was multifaceted. I didn't want to just have a brand, but I also didn't want to just have a community without product because I love products. That's what I've spent my career learning about. And I felt like bathing was a bit of an untapped market in a sense. I didn't think there was really a brand that was bathing for a younger generation. I think a lot of you know, bath products are targeted maybe towards older people. And, you know, you're, I'm getting lavender, I'm getting, you know, rose and all of those things. So I wanted to create that kind of place for, you know, burnt out 30 year olds and 40 year olds who just need to take five minutes and a more realistic approach to wellness and not so guilt driven. And I think we've achieved that really, really well. I'm super proud of everything that we've created and we've launched four products. We've got bath salts, a body scrub, a body oil and a body balm and hopefully more to come. And it's been just the most amazing experience so far. I love the body scrub. I've, I've been playing around with your products and I, they're, ah! they're a joy to, to use interesting that you say that you know bath and bathing is almost like a therapeutic space for you being in the the spa industry and trained in lots of different bathing rituals and massage and things you know there's a lot of ancient history but also some scientific that backs up all of that but I also know me personally when life hits the fan or I need to try and get my ducks in a row or it's just anxiety, I'm feeling the pressure. I can literally bath twice a day. It's my thinking space, it's my safe space. So I totally get, I find water immensely calming and healing in in many different ways. So I, in all of that that you say about the core of the brand really resonates with me. I do need to ask, because I was, while I was researching, you know, you and what you're currently up to, you've been at Downing Street recently. Yes, I was. I, I don't know how I got there either. Yeah, tell us about that. <laughs> um, so that was really exciting. I, I don't think I really knew what a big deal it was. Like, I knew, but when I got there, I was like, oh, wow, this actually is quite a big deal. <laughs> so I was invited to speak to a group of people as you know, a new entrepreneur, all about STEM roles. So that's science, technology type of roles in, um, in the beauty space. But I, I don't work in technology. So I, I didn't really know why I was there. But basically, I was there to be the conduit between the tech jobs and the beauty jobs, because I was trying to tell people that I work with all of these technicians, and I work with all of these scientists, and there are so many roles. I mean, since launching this brand, I had no idea how many people it takes to just create a product. So I think it's really interesting that if you want to work in beauty, but you do have more of a scientific background, consider, you know, 
product development. That's something that I never would have thought of when I was growing up. And there are so many opportunities. And actually, we need them because there's not actually that many product developers in the UK. So we really need those people in the beauty industry to kind of like take these crazy ideas and turn them into a real product. So that's what I was doing at Downing Street. And I definitely felt a bit out of my depth. I'm not going to lie. But I tried to talk to the kids as if I was cool. But I realized very quickly that I'm I'm not I'm not cool. <laughs> it's interesting you say about the different jobs and things within the beauty industry because you're absolutely right it is so vast. You know, one of your first jobs to well my very very first job in beauty was at the body shop. Do you know what when the body shop first launched and this is how old I am. I remember so I was living out in Worcestershire at the time. And you used to queue up outside the body shop with your little basket. They'd put like the the ropes out, the red ropes out, because it was such a new concept. And as a little girl, you'd go in there with your basket and fill it up with your rum and raisin lip balm and other bits and things. It was it was really revolutionary. But yeah, jobs in the beauty industry. I love our industry. It's so multifaceted and it supports so many jobs and families. And there is a big chunk of women in our industry. And I think that's another thing that I really love about USDA. There's a women collaborativeness around you, which I, I really admire as well. So I know we've talked about Mirror Water Is there anything else on the what's next for Estee list? Well, I can talk about my personal life. Yes. Okay. I think right now I I have enough on my plate. You know, I'm trying to manage both things here and I'm growing the team at Mirror Water and hopefully launching into retail soon and doing this whole thing. And this is so exciting for me because I think I I've just, was doing the same sort of thing for 10 years as a content creator. So now I'm having to be you know, learning new things every day, challenging myself. So I have enough on my plate career-wise, I think, for quite a while. Although I would love to do more presenting. But anyway, I don't have time. But in my personal life, I really want to move. I don't know when. And I'm still in London, uh, I think. But I want to move into maybe a different area. I want to get a house and maybe, you know, have a few extra bedrooms in there if those people want to read between the lines. So I think I'm kind of getting to that age and we'll see how that happens. And then I also just got my British citizenship a couple of weeks ago. So that was really exciting. Amazing. Thank you. That's huge, actually, Estee. That's huge. Yeah, it is. It's weird because, you know, we're, we spoke about how I first started and I was 19 and I just moved here and everything was so new and I was out of my depth and everything. And now, you know, 12 years later, it, it really feels like, not that a chapter has closed, but I definitely feel like I'm moving into the next phase of my life and getting the citizenship just came at that kind of perfect end period there where I feel like certain things in my life just got tied up and I'm just kind of ready for the next stuff now. So that felt really nice and weird also at the same time. And, you know, you look back on your life and it just goes so fast. And I know everybody says it, but it really, really does. So if I could say one thing, just do the things you want to do, live your life to the fullest because you don't get that time back. And um, yeah, it's it's weird. I'm growing up. (laughs) 
What's interesting is when we maybe plan forwards and we kind of have that maybe five-year plan and you might think, oh, my goodness, well, where maybe where I want to be personally and business-wise, it all seems so far away and almost impossible to get there. But when you look back five years and see what you've achieved and changed over that, you're like, holy moly. So actually if that's what the past five years is going to be like, that's that's a reflection of potentially what the next five years is going to be like. And I think that's a slightly different mind shift to, about, you know, looking and planning into the future is it's good to reflect on, on what's been because that's, you know, fingers crossed, something to to give you that insight of the amazing, crazy big things that, that are to come. Esty, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I usually ask, where can people find you? But I, I know that they can find you online, you know, on your YouTube and now TikTok as well. Well, I'm trying on TikTok, but I mainly live on Instagram these days. I just find it the most the easiest and I, I just quite like it. But yeah, YouTube, I do vlogs still and make stories and I'm all over the place. Amazing, Esther. It's been so lovely chatting to you. And I'm really excited for, you know, the future, mirror water, personal life. So yeah, I'm I'm sure there's lots more to come yet. Thank you so much. I need to come see you for a facial soon. Thank you so much for listening to Knowing Me, Glowing You. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. If you'd like to learn a little more about what I do, you can always pop over to my website, abigailjames.com, where you can stay up to date with everything I'm up to. If you're into your skincare and well-being, I think you are really going to enjoy my latest book, The Glow Plan. It's a four-week plan to ageing well from the inside and out. If you enjoyed today's episode, it's really appreciated if you would subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode might have given a moment of welcome distraction from your day and offered a glimmer of inspiration and happiness.